would be great. All right, Genesis 5. Let's stand this morning for the reading of God's Word. Genesis 5, and we're going to look at a couple of different verses. This will be an unusual scripture reading this morning. We're going to look at verse 21, verse 25, and then uh, verse 28 down through verse 32. So, uh, I'll tell you what, I'll read verse 21, and then we can read verse 25 out loud together. And then I'll read verse 28, and then we'll read responsively down through verse 32 there. Verse 21 says, And Enoch lived sixty and five years and begat Methuselah. Together, verse 25 and Methuselah lived in 187 years and begat Lamech. Now, I'll, I'll read verse 28 now. And Lamech lived in 180 and two years and begat a son. And he called his name, together verse 29, And he called his name Noah, saying, This same shall comfort us concerning our work and toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord hath cursed. And Lamech lived after he begat Noah uh, Five hundred ninety and five years, and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Lamech were seven hundred seventy and seven years, and he died. Together, verse thirty-two. And Noah was five hundred years old, and Noah begat Shem, Ham, and Japheth. I want to preach a sermon this morning entitled "This: A Family with a Heritage." A family with a heritage. Let's pray. Lord, I do ask today that you'd help us as we. Look at uh, uh, this uh, passage, this story of uh, Noah and Lord, his uh, dad, his uh, grandfather and his great-grandfather and the impact that generations of godliness had down on Noah and then uh, trickling even down to his three boys. And I pray, God, that the sermon would be an encouragement to us today. Uh, Lord, uh, may the sermon encourage those with the young children to raise them right. Uh, Lord, not just raise them right, but to live right in front of them. And then, Lord, to those that are grandparents, I pray the sermon would be an encouragement to live their lives in a way that um, their righteousness is evident and obvious to their grandchildren. And regardless of how mom and dad are living, may the grandparents live godly. And then those, Lord, today here that have children that are wayward, Lord, I pray that the sermon would be an encouragement to them to stay consistent with their faith. And, Lord, to continue to make that attractive. May we be people that strive to give the next generation a godly heritage. May the sermon be an encouragement to everyone here today. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Now, I could have entitled this, watch this play on words here, Getting My Family On Board. Getting My Family On Board. Obviously, Noah got his family on board, didn't he? Uh, Both uh, figuratively and literally got them on the ark. Uh, And... Uh, Noah lived in a time where sin was all around him, all around him. Genesis 6 verse 5 tells us that the imagination of the hearts of the people were only evil continually, only evil continually. We looked at that a couple of sunny nights ago about the imaginations of the heart and how that, the I think all but two times that word imagination is found in the Bible, it's talked about in a negative way. And so that was how it was during Noah's time. The people were only evil continually in the imaginations of their hearts and then even trickling down to their actions. Now, when God closed the door to Noah's boat, there were only eight people on the inside. Just eight. Now, Noah preached that the storm was coming for 120 years. And so it wasn't the people didn't know It wasn't that Noah wasn't even a spectacle. Building a boat that far away from the shore? In his backyard that was that big, that could house that many animals? Uh, I imagine, and this is just speculation, but I imagine there was probably some tourism that built up in Noah's town based around Noah's boat. Wouldn't you guess? People wanting to travel a long ways to see this big boat that this nutcase is building in his backyard, this far from the water? But when the door closed, the only eight people inside were Noah, Mrs. Noah, Ham, Shem, and Japheth, and then their wives. How did Noah manage to get his family on board that boat? Today we're going to talk about the heritage that Noah was able to hand down to his three sons. Have you noticed just how wicked the world around us has become? Have you noticed that? The Bible tells us that in the last days that, 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 the, the, that they would be the same as they were in the days of Noah. 
Matthew 24, 37. But as the days of Noah were, so, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Now, um, I look at the world around us and I see a lot of hypocrisy. A lot of hypocrisy. How many of you follow the news closely here? If you do, you, you notice that um, the trend right now is to dig up skeletons out of people's closets and to uh, wave that in front of them. I'm not so sure that there isn't a little political motivation behind this, right? It's, uh, we'll believe the guy if he's on our team, but we won't believe the guy if he isn't on our team. Uh, he must have done it at every accusation of someone on the other side of the political aisle. Um, I'm not so sure that we're not trying to dig up skeletons just to advance a political cause, not because we actually believe that. I, I look at Hollywood and the filth that they push out. I mean, we've got movies that have children cussing and taking God's name in vain. And, you know, in one scene you've got children, and in the next scene you've got a bedroom scene. And I'm sitting here going, how hypocritical are you to, to pretend like you can take the moral high ground and point the finger at some producer when you're involved in shoving a godless, immoral agenda on us as people? It, uh, it's backwards. It's backwards. I look at our politicians, and many of them, the, and listen, there are good politicians, all right? I'm not, I'm not going to uh, categorize all of them. I think there are, there are people in Washington trying to do the right thing. I really do. Uh, but I look at a lot of politicians, and I see just a, a lot of hypocrisy there. There's a lot of um, backdoor deals, taking money and bribes. I look at church houses with pastors who pretend to be one thing, front of their people, and then over time they're exposed to being something else. You all know what I'm talking about? Pastors who are uh, discovered to be godless. I, I know deacons that's happened to, and I see church members fall by the wayside all the time. In fact, Christians are accused of being hypocrites, and i got to say oftentimes rightfully so. What did Mahatmas Gandhi say? He said, I would be a Christian if it weren't for Christians. He said, I like your Christ, but I do not like the Christians that represent your Christ. And so hypocrisy has been going around for a long time. Setting the hypocrisy to the side, we just live in an evil time. We live in an evil time. Um, it is possible that the world may not quite be as evil yet as it was back in Noah's time. Now, I doubt they had a church service with... 150 people sitting in an auditorium right before Noah built the ark. Right? So I don't think we're quite there yet. Uh, several years ago when Tim Tebow was in the NFL, um, Tim Tebow wore eye black and on his eye black he had John 3.16. How many remember that? And he, uh, he wore that, I believe, the game that the Broncos, was it the Steelers they beat, Brother Ed? All right, Brother Ed's got a Steelers jacket on back there. I'm going to pick on him a little bit. Um, those of you that know me, I don't like the Steelers, can't stand the Steelers, right? Sports is just about as much who you cheer for as who you cheer against. So, uh, But uh, beat the Steelers on a glorious walk-off touchdown. And after the game, I saw a statistic that after the game was over, 90 million people, 90 million times, John 3.16 was Googled. 90 million times. Now, um, um, I'm not necessarily the biggest Tim Tebow fan. I'm not against him. I'm not really for him. Um, but i got to say, any time an athlete can get people to Google John 3.16 90 million times, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. How many of you remember back in the day where you have that nutcase that, that buys that ticket right in the center of the goalposts, and he wears the rainbow hair? And he gets the big John 3.16 sign, right? We've all seen that. Um, I'm, for, I'm for that. Um, I've I got to say, though, not the rainbow hair part. I think that's a little nutty. Um, I'm for the John 3.16 signs. I'm for the any time the gospel is given out in, in any way possible. Uh, so while I don't think our world is as sinful as it was in Noah's time, we still do live in a very sinful world. And parents... While it might be difficult, it is your job to give your children a godly heritage. It's your job. 
It's a responsibility. Now, you are not responsible for your adult children's actions. Let me say that again. You are not responsible for your adult children's actions, but you are responsible for your own. You say, well, I, I really tried. I really tried to turn my children out right, and, and it didn't work. So, you know what? I'm throwing up my hands, and I'm done with church. It's a wrong attitude. you still got to do what's right. The story isn't over for your adult children. They might come back to God, but the percentages of that are going to go way down if you turn away from God, because they're still looking at you. I'd also like to say by way of introduction, before we get into the meat of the message today, that um, when people who are new to Christianity read some of the ages of the people in this passage, they're a little surprised. They're a little surprised. And I don't pretend to have all the answers as to why people live to be, say, 969 years old, the way Methuselah did. Uh, but I would like to share some ideas with you this morning. First, I would say that God made Adam and Eve perfect, perfect, and generation after generation of sinful living has slowed down the human body to the place where we now live much shorter lives. Um, secondly, I'd like to introduce to you the idea of the water canopy. The water canopy. Uh, I don't know how many of you here would be familiar with the water canopy theory, but the theory is that before the flood, there was a water canopy that surrounded the earth. In fact, Genesis talks about God dividing the firmament from the firmament, and the firmament being the great waters. And so there was this, I believe, and I, I really subscribe to this, I believe there's a water canopy that surrounded the earth. And uh, not to get real scientific on you here, because my uh, knowledge of science is uh, not real, real deep. I'm a pastor, not a scientist. But as sun rays hit a, uh, a, a layer of water, uh, sun rays produce UVA, UVB, and UVC rays. UVA rays, as far as our studies go, do nothing to the body really. Uh, UVC rays will quickly kill the human body, but UVB rays over time wrinkles the body and ages the body. UVB rays are absorbed in a layer of water so that the sun would not have aged people uh, back before the flood the way it does now. The other thing I think that lends credence if you're a creationist to the water canopy theory is that how do you cover every mountaintop with just a really bad rainstorm? Uh, the Bible says that the waters came in from above and below. So the waters came up from underneath the ground, and I believe that God poked a hole in that water canopy and just dumped all that water on the earth in a couple of different places, producing things such as the Grand Canyon. Right? Probably one of the spots where that water canopy would have poured on the earth. And after that was gone, if you read through the accounts of ages in the Bible, uh, after the water canopy is gone, boy, rapidly the ages start falling off, which I believe also gives credence to that. But again, uh, uh, is it possible that there was no water canopy? It is possible, and if you vehemently disagree with me, that's okay. We can still love each other in the Lord. Amen? Um, However, don't let a large number at the end of someone's name cause you to doubt God's word. The Bible teaches us that Methuselah, referenced earlier, lived to be 969 years old. Can you imagine that? that that's almost a whole millennia, right? So that would take you back from here, that would take you back to 1917, maybe about 19, what, 19, doing the math in my head real quick, 1930 or 1940? Being alive, or rather, I'm sorry, uh, going back further than that, uh, uh, 2000, we're going back to 11, 11, uh, uh, a night, uh, one th- whatever it would be. It'd be a long time ago, amen? I'm stuck. I'm not a scientist or a mathematician. I'm just a preacher. Especially on the spot. All right, let me get, let me get back to what I do a little bit better than math and science. We're going to jump in this morning and look at four things that the heritage of the family of Noah, uh, about the heritage of Noah's family today, and we're going to try to apply them to our homes. Number one, if you're taking notes this morning, I encourage you to do that. Number one, notice their lineage. Their lineage. Now, looking at this, alright, uh, Enoch, Enoch is the seventh generation from Adam. And he was the great-grandfather of Noah. You have to put your thinking caps on here on this point. Uh, pay attention on purpose. Hopefully you got some extra rest over the, 
uh, holidays and some time off there. And so really uh, put that thinking cap on and think with me here for a minute. Enoch is the seventh generation from Adam and he is the great grandfather of Noah. Jude verse 14 says this, it says that Enoch also the seventh from Adam prophesied of these saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. So uh, Enoch seventh from Adam. Methuselah would have been Enoch's son. He is the eighth generation from Adam and the grandfather of Noah. Lamech is the ninth generation from Adam and the father of Noah. And then Noah would have been the tenth generation from Adam. So you have Enoch, who is the father of Methuselah, who is the father of Lamech, who is the father of Noah. And through the sermon today, I'm going to work to convince you that all of these men were godly men that passed down a godly heritage from one generation to the next. So we see, number one, their lineage. Let's move on quickly to number two. We see their legacy. Their legacy. They grew up in an entire family that loved God. The entire family loved God. And I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna give you uh, an A, B, and a C here, uh, with three of these, um, uh, three of these, uh, fathers. And I'm gonna give you an attribute of these men. Now this isn't the definition of their name. Let me say that up front. This would just be an attribute that we can pull out of the scripture we have on them. And, uh, and look at how these are important to a good legacy. Letter A, notice, Lamech, hope in the Lord's promise. Hope in the Lord's promise. Look back with me at Genesis chapter 5 in your Bibles there, in verse number 28. Genesis 5, 28 says, And Lamech lived in 182 years and begat a son, and he called his name Noah, saying, Now, here's where we get the hope. This same shall comfort us, Concerning our work and toil of our hands, because of the ground which the Lord hath cursed. Uh, again, this same shall comfort us concerning our work and toil of our hands. So you can see that Lamech named his son Noah according to the hope that he had in the promise of the Lord. He looked at his son Noah and he said, because of my son, God's going to use him to accomplish something great and God's going to bring greatness to the earth through my son Noah. And we see Lamech's spirit of hope in the Lord's promise. And what an important thing to have. We'll come back and look at that more in just a moment here. Letter B, notice Methuselah, faith in the Lord's promise. Methuselah, Faith in the Lord's promise. Now, if you have um, uh, peripherally studied the genealogy of this family, I'm going to teach you something that's new. Those of you that have been going to church a long time, maybe a, more of a Bible scholar type, this may, may be something that you already knew but or already know. But uh, let's look at something here. The first time I saw this, I thought it was just really fascinating. Uh, Pastor, where do you see that Methuselah had faith in anything? Now, the Bible doesn't have a whole lot to say about Methuselah. It gives us his name. It gives us his age. It tells us who his parents are. It tells us who his ch- child is. But it doesn't really give us a lot of information. So you say, well, Pastor, are you extrapolating out of something that isn't there? Are you inventing something? I don't believe I am. And let me show you why. Look at verse 27 there. And all the days of Methuselah were 969 years and he died. So let's do some math here. Uh, I had some help in previous studying of this and uh, uh, some time to think this through. So hopefully I don't flood this up too bad. And we're going to put some numbers up here on the screen here for you. Genesis 5 verse 25 says, And Methuselah lived in 187 years and begat Lamech. So we know, according to verse 25, you can throw that up there, that he lived to be 187 years uh, uh, before he uh, had his first son, right? So at 187 years old, he had his first son. Let me just pause here and say this as well, that um, uh, ladies, can you imagine, uh, we know that Eve lived to be 900 years old. Can you imagine how many children you could have in 900 years? You ever, you ever thought about that before? People ask me all the time, well, where did Cain and Seth get their wives? Well, I believe, because the Bible doesn't tell us of any other account, and we know that uh, everyone on earth got their sin nature from Adam, from Adam. So uh, I believe that uh, Cain and Seth married their sisters. And you say, well, that's weird. According to our culture... It's weird, and I'll just say flat out, it's weird. But understand, again, that the gene pool was much more clean back then, and Cain and Seth could have left home and come back 200 years later and seen a daughter who's now 120 years old, still in the prime of her life, and thought, wow, she's attractive. 
Now, again, to us, that's strange. But the gene pool was perfect, and it was uh, without uh, a fallacy to it, and he would have taken a wife from his sister there. Uh, but how many children could you have if you lived to be 900 years old? Some of you ladies have had one child, and you say, that's it. I've got to say, if men had children, we would have gone out of, we would have been extinct a long time ago. Um, uh, my mom's, the, I'm the oldest of seven, and I have no idea how she had seven children. Um, uh, so... But nonetheless, uh, I guess God has a, a, a system in that and a way of creating affection in a mother's heart to want to have more children. But we see that uh, here that um, Methuselah lived from his birth to that first child. He was 187. Now look with me at Genesis chapter 5, verse 28. It says there, And Lamech lived 182 years and begat a son. So uh, we see now that Lamech lived 182 years. And so you have 187 uh, to the birth of Lamech, and then you can add 182 more years to the life of Methuselah when his first grandchild was born. All right. Now look down, uh, turn over to Genesis chapter 7 and verse 11. Genesis chapter 7 and verse 11. So Lamech's birth of Noah at Noah's birth there, uh, Methuselah would have been 187 plus 182. Genesis 7 verse 11 says, In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the sixth month, the 70th day of the month, the same day were all the foundations of the great deep broken up and the windows of heaven were opened. So 600 years into Noah's life, uh, you throw that up there, now you have uh, a total of 969 years. In this we see that Methuselah died the same year as the flood. The same year as the flood. So... There are people that speculate that Methuselah died in the flood, right? Which would make sense. He would have died in the flood. Uh, Jewish tradition says he died seven days before the flood. Let me share with you another interesting little factoid here. Anybody here know what Methuselah's name means? It means, when he is gone, it will come. When he is gone, it will come. Now, let me just insert my opinion here. I believe God allowed Methuselah to die of natural causes before he sent the flood. Can you imagine having a dead body on the boat? The problems that would have caused? Can you imagine having an old man with all the needs that medically he would have needed on the boat? The problems that would have caused, I think God stalled the sending of the flood until his child, his faithful child, his faith-filled child, Methuselah, could die of natural causes. Methuselah, no doubt, was a man of faith. You look at, at, at who Methuselah's father was. You look at who Methuselah's son and grandson was. And you see godly, godly men. Methuselah, no doubt, took the baton of, of, of faith and love for God. And he uh, took it from his father, Enoch. And he passed it down to his son, Lamech. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind that Methuselah was a man filled with faith. Letter C, we see that Enoch... We see Enoch, love in the Lord's presence. Love in the Lord's presence. So, we looked at Lamech, uh, Noah's father. We looked at Methuselah, Noah's grandfather. Now let's look at Enoch, uh, Methuselah's, or rather Noah's great-grandfather. Love in the Lord's presence. Uh, Genesis chapter 5, verse 24 tells us there. It says, And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God Took him. Now, uh, Hebrews chapter 11 verse 5 says this, By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him for before his translation he had a testimony that he pleased God. What an amazing story. Enoch walked so close uh, to God that one day while Enoch was out for a walk talking with God in prayer, God must have told him, you know Enoch, you are closer to me than you are to your own home. Why don't you just come on up here with me? Why don't I just bring you on up uh, into heaven? And so Enoch was taken straight to heaven. He never died a physical death. Never died a physical death. And what an amazing story. Oh, that only happened to one other person in the Bible, and that was Elijah. So you, uh, you look at the three attributes that sum up these men's lives. You see hope, faith, and love. Hope, 
faith and love. You have those three attributes that stand out to me from those three men. Now, don't miss the point of application here to all of you that uh, have family, whether they're in the house with you or out of the house with you. Uh, uh, when uh, uh, These are three important things you must pass down to your family if you want to maintain a godly heritage. You must pass down hope, faith, and love. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that these three things, hope, uh, uh, hope, faith, and charity, I believe they are. The greatest of these is charity. But charity, an idea or a cousin to charity, is love. Now, when things aren't going well at home, how do you respond? How do you respond? What I mean is, when you are stressed out over the bills, or you have a flat tire, or you have a leaky roof, how do you respond? Do you uh, do your kids just kind of run into their room and shelter up in a bunker waiting for you to explode? Um, does your wife expect you to get cold and distant? Um, is there strife, or are you responding in faith, believing God's going to take care of it, in hope that God's going to come through on His promise, and in love, knowing that Christ loved you enough to send His Son to die on the cross? Now, to those of you that have children in the home, let, re, let me remind you that you have little eyeballs watching you. And they are learning how you react when problems happen. Instead of fretting over problems, you need to have faith. Little eyeballs are watching you. My dad spoke here Tuesday night at our Thanksgiving Celebration wasn't that a great time, by the way. Those of you that came, that was a lot of fun. We uh, had great testimonies by some people in our church that the Lord's just done an extra special work in their life over the last twelve months or so, and enjoyed a good meal. And uh, I thought that the message that was brought was uh, superb. But my father, uh, you know, there was a time in my life where I stepped out from underneath the canopy of my dad, and I became a married man, and and I hit the first financial bump in the road. First financial bump. I was unhired, had no job job prospect, lease was ending on our apartment. Uh, we either had to agree to a month-by-month basis at 115% of rent, or we had to sign a whole other one-year agreement in an apartment, by the way, uh, that the guy below us had committed murder, hid the gun in the woods next to our house, and had the SWAT team swarm in on him and arrest him. So were we going to sign another one-year deal uh, in that place, or are we going to 115% a month? No job to pay the bills as I had been unhired from a new job and uh, I had a, a, a two-month-old newborn on my hands. And i got to say that because my father had been a man of faith during the hard times, it made it a whole lot easier for me to be a man of faith. Instead of being pessimistic when problems come your way, do your children see pessimism or do they see hope? If I were to sit down and write out all the rules that we had in my home growing up, you would look at that list of rules that would be a book about that thick, and you would say, my goodness, how in the world did you live in such a harsh atmosphere? The truth is, although we had plenty of rules, it didn't feel as though there were any rules. You, you may ask, how is that possible? The answer is, there was a whole lot of faith, there was a whole lot of hope, and there was a whole lot of love that took place in our home. And that was the grace... That was the grace that made those rules easy boundaries to live inside of. These three things make the boundaries that you set up as parents in your home seem very, 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 very sweet. So number one, this morning, we looked at, uh, we looked at the legacy. Uh, number two, or their legacy. Number two, we looked, or rather their lineage. Number two, we looked at their legacy. Number three, let's look at their lessons learned. Their lessons learned. There were many different avenues in which this heritage was transferred to Ham, Shem, and Japheth. The children of Noah. Let's look at a few of them here quickly. Letter A, notice, by experience. By experience. Mom and Dad, you have an opportunity on a daily basis to show your children what true Christianity is all about. Daily basis. You're going to have... Opportunities come up. You know when you're backing out of that parking spot at Walmart and you just bump the bumper and you leave a little scrape. 
that car next to you. Your children are watching you. You look both ways and you notice that no one saw and you just pull away. What do you think you're teaching your children? Oh, it might be short-term gain because you don't have your insurance nicked. That's a long-term loss because now your children are learning from you. Taking that 30 seconds to pull a piece of paper out and write down your name and number and the incident and slip it under the windshield wiper makes a difference. I was talking to a neighbor of mine some years ago, another Christian, and we were talking about this very topic of experiences and, and learning from your parents. And He mentioned that they were out in the woods hunting and uh, the dad had a deer in his scope that was a, a good ways out. The particular place they were hunting in, uh, a particular state, had really strict laws about what could and could not be shot different uh, uh, seasons. And the dad took out an animal that, uh, by mistake, took out an animal that was outside of the season for it to be shot. And he said, my initial thought was, I was a 14-year-old, 15-year-old boy, my initial thought was, let's hurry up and get it out of the woods before the game warden catches us. He said, but my dad, when he realized his mistake, what he did was, he said, we've got to find the game warden and tell him what we did and pay the fine uh, for the mistake that we made. He said, we did that. And he said, you have no idea the impact that made on me about being a man of integrity seeing that from my father. Now, these are the things that matter. Listen, you're here today, you say, I don't have any children in the home. you have any grandchildren? any grandchildren? You know, uh, these little things that you do, they make up the sum of who you are as a man and who you are as a person. And your grandchildren are watching you. Letter B, we see, by habit. By habit. I'm just being going to get really practical here with you again. Developing Christian habits are essential to good Christian living. Let me say that again. Developing Christian habits are essential to good Christian living. i got to say that it bothers me how many people claim to be Christians but don't live like Christ. You know, you can be saved without being a Christian. You understand that? You can be on your way to heaven and still live like the devil. That idea of being a Christian, that wasn't invented by the Bible. People that were secular looked at the church of Antioch and said, that crowd of people, they act like miniature Christs. And they coined them Christians. And at first that term was a slur. A slur. There are a lot of people that claim Christianity, but they still watch raunchy stuff on TV. You pull up their playlists on their phone and the music they listen to. Uh, it, you wouldn't listen to that and Jesus Christ was sitting in your passenger seat. You uh, uh, you look at the, the language that comes out of their mouth. You look at the beverages that exist in their refrigerator. You look at the way they live their life. And uh, 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 you step back and go, you don't have Christian habits. You can't claim to be a Christian if you don't have Christian habits. This is just getting down on the nitty gritty level. Let me give you an example here. When I was a boy uh, and we were watching a TV program, if God's name was taken in vain or there was a curse word used, immediately the channel was changed and we did not watch that program anymore. You know what statement that made to me as a young man? Taking God's name in vain is forbidden. It's forbidden. You say, oh, pastor, come on. Uh, you know, it's a really good program and we're two-thirds of the way through it and we're into the storyline and one little word. What's the big deal? What's the big deal? You know, I, I can stand here today and honestly tell you that I have never intentionally cursed once in my life. Now, that might seem hard to believe for you, but do you know why? Because when I was this little, if a curse word came up on that TV screen, it was changed and it was condemned immediately. That made a strong statement to me by my parents. We don't curse. We don't curse. Now this might seem even more extreme. And I'll say there's a spirit of grace between me and you. My parents were against having a backbeat in music. My dad firmly believes and taught that Satan uses rebellion in music, the rearranging of musical patterns in order to shove his rebellious ideology down uh, our throats. Now, if you don't believe that, that's okay. I, I don't fault you for that. I don't think less of you for that. We, can, uh, uh, we don't have to line up on that. But i got to tell you, I never developed a problem with 
with wrong music in my life because we weren't even allowed to listen to it in the commercials. We weren't even allowed. We had to change the channel or mute the TV if that came up in a commercial. Why? Because my father was establishing strong Christian habits in the home. And uh, we're talking today about how Noah managed to get his boys and his their wives on that boat. He was able to do that because uh, Noah started when his children were little by having Christian godly habits in the home. In the home. Use kind words. Use clean words. These are godly habits that need to be established. Letter C, we see by external support. By external support. Has your love for Jesus ever gone down a little in your entire Christian life? Has that ever happened? Can I tell you it's happened to me? Can I tell you it happens to me almost on a weekly basis where, you know, my love for Jesus kind of does one of these. It's up and down a little bit and I wish I could tell you that, man, I'm just upward climbing and I've never ever take a step backwards. That would be disingenuous. That would be disingenuous. Um, I'm so glad that when I stumble in my love for God, there are people around me, both in my home and at my church, who can help me up. I can't tell you how many times I've gotten an email from a deacon or I've gotten a text message from a church member with a Bible verse in it. It was exactly what I needed to pick me up. Can't tell you how many times I woke up on the wrong side of the bed at home and I was just grouch. I was unkind. My sweet, loving wife, in her own way, spiritually picked me up and got me back on track. Can't tell you how many times. In fact, she's done that more for me than I've done it for her, and that's the honest truth. Do you think that maybe during the 120 years they were building that boat, do you think that maybe it took them to... Uh, that, that Noah's children didn't go to bed feeling like that they were wasting their time? I think maybe that may have happened to one of them at least once. They, they spent their whole day swinging a hammer while their buddies are going to an amusement park. They spent their whole day uh, 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 chopping wood and forming that wood uh, while uh, their buddies were running around town and going watching a movie or, or, or going to play basketball or running around and uh, enjoying a baseball game. Do you think that maybe they ever pillowed their head at night feeling like, what am I doing? I'm wasting my time. Do you know why they got up every day and went back to swinging the hammer in spite of feeling that way? They did it because they knew that Grandpa would be disappointed if they walked away uh, uh, from what the family had given them. When we establish a godly heritage for our children, we, what we are doing, listen carefully here, we're establishing a safety net to catch them when they start to move away from God. We establish a safety net. And uh, for more commentary on that, I preached a sermon a couple of months back entitled, What to Do with the Wayward. And I believe you can find that on our website. You can also order it through our bookstore. Uh, but uh, if you have adult children that have gone wayward, I would encourage you to order that and listen to that But so that you know how to establish that safety that if you're here today and you've got small children, you've got teenagers in your home, I'd say uh, be there for them to pick them up when they're down. Not always by yelling at them uh, while discipline's necessary sometimes, but use a, a plethora of ways to pick them up. Number four, and lastly, we see the Lord pleased. The Lord pleased. Look with me at uh, Genesis chapter 6 and verse 8. Just a beautiful verse in the Bible. But Noah found grace. He found grace in the eyes of the Lord. There may not have been many left that pleased the Lord, but Noah's family found grace. It may have been that the world around them was abominable to God by the way they were living. Relationships that were perverted. Hearts that imagined evil things. Murders that were committed. Rape and adultery abundant in the earth. But God looked down at Noah's family and what he saw was that Noah found grace. Noah found grace. God looks down at your family. The family unit that is assembled under your roof or uh, through uh, uh, grandchildren, maybe even under a few roofs. Does he look down and does he see that grace? Does he see that you find grace? In the eyes of the Lord. It ought to be a desire in our hearts that all of our descendants that live during our lifetime, that they get saved and love Jesus. They get saved and love Jesus.
If you have small children here this morning, let me really encourage you with this. Don't force your children into praying a sinner's prayer. Don't do that. Don't do that. Um, I can't tell you how many teenagers have to get reassurance of their faith because mom and dad twisted their arm into praying a prayer when they were little or allowed the child to pray a prayer before they were ready. You say, well, how do, we, how do you handle that? With, uh, with our children, we let them approach us on it. And then um, we let them tell us what was necessary to be saved. And then we let them pray the sinner's prayer on their own. We didn't lead them in a phrase-by-phrase prayer. When I was a little boy, I uh, bowed my head and trusted Christ as my Savior as a four-year-old boy. But uh, when I turned 12, I had some uncertainty whether or not I knew what I was doing. And so I did get reassurance of my salvation at 12 years old. I bowed my head again in my, in my uh, living room of, of the house we lived in with my dad. And, and I, uh, I prayed the sinner's prayer again. Looking back on it, I do believe I probably got saved when I was four. But um, you want to try to prevent that from happening the best you can. Allow your child, allow that child to find their way to the Lord. And you be there to help facilitate it, but don't force it. Don't force it. And those children, when they get saved, if they find Christ on their own, in their own volition, their own way, I'm going to tell you, you begin to see a transformation in their life that takes place. My son Matthew, when uh, he got saved, he was a four-year-old boy as well. We were living in Terryville, Connecticut. We were living in a church building, a little tiny apartment in the top of that church building there, Riverside Baptist Church. And my son uh, is, is a people pleaser, that's his nature, and so he was already a pretty well-behaved child leading up to that moment. But, you know, when Matthew got saved, I saw a real change in him. It was like he came alive in Christ and he had a passion for things for God that he never had before. Even as a four-year-old boy. I've probably shared this before, but boy, it, it's a tender moment in my life. It's worth sharing again. I would, um, uh, I'm in the habit of uh, being the one that tucks the kids in bed at my house. And our children are still young enough to let me do that. I know the day's coming where my son says to me, I don't need you to tuck me in bed anymore, Dad. I'm uh, w- awaiting that day with agony. But uh, they still let me do that. And so uh, back uh, four years ago, I, I tucked Matthew in bed. You know, we, we, we pray together every night. I kneel each of their bed and I pray with them. And I can remember Matthew. Uh, he'd pray. And it was, a, you know, a generic prayer. Um, but that night after he'd gotten saved... He was praying and he paused and he took a deep breath. For the first time ever, he said this. He said, Dear Lord, thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for loving me and saving me. I don't cry very often. I don't cry very often. But I walked out of his room with tears running down my cheeks. You know, I looked up at heaven and I said, Lord, you have found grace on our family. Now, my children are eight and six. I don't know what the future holds. A lot of pastors' kids don't turn out right. And I'm thankful that White Oak Baptist Church lets my kids live their lives without forcing them to feel like they've got to be a certain way. Thank you. I hope they grow up and they do what's right. And Angel and I are fighting tooth and nail to try to see that happen. But I've got to say this morning that it is my heart's desire that you lead your family in a way where like Noah, you can find grace in the eyes of the Lord. You can please the Lord. If you want to please God on the macro level as a family, then you have to please Him on the micro level. How you talk to your wife, sir, it matters. It matters. Ma'am, how you show respect and honor to your husband in front of the children, it matters. It's a micro level. How, you, uh, how do you talk to your children when you're frustrated, it matters. It matters. Being quick to sit your children down and apologize to them when you stepped out of bounds, that matters. It matters. You want God to, you want to find grace in the eyes of the Lord on a macro level, then you've got to be willing to do it on the micro level. Now, some of you here today listen to that sermon, and you've got small children at home, and this hopefully is helpful to you. Some of you look back with regrets on the way you raised your family. And my friend, the purpose of this is not to cause you to feel guilt. 
Paul said in 1 Corinthians, I leave behind those things which are in the, in the past. Leave those behind and, and look out the windshield and get your eyes off the rearview mirror and start doing the right things today. Today. There may not have been many left that pleased the Lord, but Noah's family found grace. It ought to be a desire in our hearts that all of our descendants, again, love, uh, get saved and learn to love Jesus. That may mean that you need to leave yourself notes in different places. On the mirror, in the car, in the kitchen, men on the refrigerator. Amen? Leave your notes in regular places to remind you to pray for your family. We need to learn to develop, develop a heritage. Now, this is not necessarily a success story of Noah. It is more of a success story of Enoch and what he created in a godly heritage. I finished the sermon with this today. I'll close my Bible. I'll just make one one last statement, one last uh, set of comments, and I'll be done. Please listen to what I'm about to say. You say, Pastor, my dad didn't give me a godly heritage. What am I to do? Break the chain of sin and you be the patriarch, the matriarch, that starts the godly heritage. It's got to start somewhere. It's got to start somewhere. We don't know much about Enoch's dad as far as godliness, but we know Enoch was godly. Enoch said, I don't care about my dad. I'm going to do what's right. Do what's right. And ladies, you've got to believe that, that Enoch and Methuselah and Lamech and Noah, boy, they had some godly wives supporting them along the way. Had some godly wives supporting them along the way. That had just as much of an impact as the husbands did. How about it today? You're creating a godly heritage? Are you doing your part? Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. Getting my family on board. Getting my family on board. A family heritage. How you live your life matters. The little things matter. How many here today say, Pastor Lejeune, I don't have all the family stuff totally figured out. I'm still working on it. It's a work in progress. I think that's all of us, isn't it? But, Pastor, I do know that I have found God's saving grace. I have put my faith and trust in Jesus. I know that when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. If that's your testimony, would you raise your hand? I know that when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. Amen. You can put your hands down. If you're here today and the thought of death scares you, it doesn't have to any longer. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5 that ye may know, that ye may know, all of you may know, that ye have eternal life. That's life that lasts forever. You can know you're going to heaven. It's not a hope so or a maybe so. It's a no so. As sure as I'm standing here, the day I die, I'm going to go to heaven. Not because of who I am, but because of what Jesus did for me. God looked down from heaven and He saw a hopeless sinner named Richard Lejeune. And He said because of his sin, he has no hope for salvation. God had a conversation with Jesus and the agreement was that Jesus would leave heaven. He would be born amongst men. He would live a perfect life. And that He would become my sin on the cross. My sin would kill Him on that cross. And through His death, He would purchase a gift called everlasting life. And that gift was made available to me the day Jesus died and the day He rose again from the dead. All I had to do to get it was by faith accept it. I had to turn from my sin See, it was wrong, and I had to accept it. If you're here today, and you've never made that decision, going to heaven is as simple as admitting you're a sinner, repenting of that sin, calling on the name of the Lord for salvation, believing on Him. How many here today say, Pastor Lejeune, the truth is, I don't know that if I were to die, I'd go to heaven. I just don't really know that for sure. I can't say I'm as certain as you are. 
But I would like to know that. If that's you, I, I don't want to embarrass you. I don't want to call your name out. I just want to pray for you. So in the privacy of the moment, with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you don't know you're going to heaven, would you just slip up your hand for me? Is there one? Is there one here today that says, Pastor, pray for me? How many here today say, Pastor, my heartbeat, my heart's desire is to give my family a godly Christian heritage? That's what I want. Pastor, pray that I will do my part. That's you as you slip up your hand. Pray that I will do my part. Whether you're a parent, a grandparent, whether you're an aunt or an uncle with no children of your own, you can still be a part of that godly heritage. Lord, I do ask today that you'd help us all to evaluate the way we live our lives on a micro level. Lord, the habits that we have, the integrity that we give, the personal experiences, the the safety net we throw under each other. May there be that lineage created, if not already, before this room, in this room. Lord, may we work to preserve that and pass that along. May we have families at White Oak Baptist Church that find grace in the sight of the Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this passage. Thank you for Noah and his example. In Jesus' name. Let's stand with our heads bowed and eyes closed. The altar's open. I would encourage everyone who the Lord has touched your heart today through the preaching of God's word to come and kneel and pray. If God didn't touch your heart today, maybe it's time to come and kneel and ask Him to start touching your heart. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I don't know I'm going to heaven. Would you come and take... Come and talk to Pastor Mike down front. He'd love to take God's Word and show you how you can know you're going to heaven someday. If you're already saved and you've yet to be baptized, our baptismal waters are ready. It's as simple as um, taking that step of obedience. You've been saved and baptized, but you've not yet joined our church. We'd love to give you more information on that. Whether you're here at the altar, there in your pew, let's make decisions for the Lord.